Now, this text may be <laughs> a little bit more challenging. Singing's one thing. Preaching Romans chapter 9 is a whole different story. So uh, uh, we have a, this is a great text, by the way. I want, I want you to know that all of the Bible is great. Um, this is another great truth this morning that we get to, we get to wrestle with. Um, some of you, it's challenging uh, when we think about, um, we think about God's choosing and God's calling us and God's the one that thought about it before the foundations of the world. And then we get into when he says, Jacob, I loved and Esau, I hated. And now we'll, we're not going to wrestle with that very long, but uh, just briefly at the end of the message. Um, how many of you have, um, maybe you've shared the gospel uh, with someone, maybe a family member, maybe it's your, your husband or wife, um, maybe it's a, an aunt or an uncle or someone that you've, you've shared the gospel with over and over and over. And, and the truths that we're going to talk about this morning, the gospel, it makes, it makes total sense to you. You get it, right? You understand that you're saved by grace and that it's through faith that you're saved and it's not, it's not about whether you went to church as a child or about um, any sort of religious heritage that you might have had, not even about your baptism um, that you were saved. Um, it's totally a part, it's totally a work of God that he does in bringing us to salvation. And you understand that, but then you go out and you preach the gospel um, to people and maybe family members, and they just, they don't get it. They don't respond. They don't, they're not understanding. And so you just hit your knees and you pray over and over and over again. And you, you pray fervently and you wait and you wait. Have you guys ever been in that situation? Anyone? Yeah. I hope so. You better be praying for the lost. What kind of church is this? There should be a resounding yes right now. What's wrong with you people? Thank you. Anybody else pray for the lost in here? In fact, we don't have our box out, but we're supposed to be praying for the lost right now. Maybe some of you put a name in that box, and if you didn't, maybe today is the day that you should think of a person that's lost that you want to share the gospel with and start praying for them. If you didn't do that yet, come see me after the service, okay? But we do, we, we pray and we pray. Um, I had an uncle like that. I have an uncle. Let me rephrase that. He's still alive. I have an uncle like that. Um, and I've shared the gospel with him. And, um, and I, I've told you this before, and his response to me was, that's something that I took care of a long time ago. That's something that I took care of a long time ago. Um, this, this text, I think, will fly in the face of that, that idea. Um, because the Israelites, God's, God's chosen people, I think, were thinking all along that they had taken care of that and that they had it. They, they had all of it. They were God's chosen people, um, dearly loved by him. And, and in a sense, they are God's chosen people, and they are dearly loved by him. They just missed that part of it. They missed that part of the gospel. Um, and so Paul, he's going to get personal here in Romans now. Um, and, and don't think that Romans 9 through 11 is kind of this addendum to what's happening in Romans 1 through 8 and Romans 12 through 16. This fits totally with what Paul is doing and the way that Paul is writing in Romans. So don't think that 
well, now we need to go off and have this little conversation about Israel. It all fits into Paul's thesis in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16 when he says that I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of who? Of God for salvation. It is the power of God for salvation, first for the Jew, and then for who? For the Gentiles. That is Paul's, that's the purpose that Paul is writing the book of Romans. He's writing to the Jewish believers in Rome, and he's writing to the Gentiles that are there, and explaining that salvation comes from God, it was ordained by God, and it's totally God that saves. It's not your religious heritage, it's not your religious pedigree, it's none of that. It's not the fact that you call yourself a Jew outwardly. It's what's going on inside the heart. That is what saves you. And and God's the one that does it. He calls us. He chooses us. Why? Because he loves us. And so Paul's heart is broken. Um, He's struggling with the fact that that his Jewish, his fellow Jewish um, friends, they don't get it. And so let's look at Romans chapter 9, if you're there already. Um, we'll read through the whole thing, and then we'll break it apart a little bit. He says, I speak the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience confirms it in the Holy Spirit. And look at his heart here. He says, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, those of my own race, the people of Israel. Theirs is the adoption as sons. Theirs the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship, and the promises. Theirs are the patriarchs, and from them is traced the human ancestry of Christ, who is God over all, forever praised. Amen. Now, it's not as though God's word had failed, for not all who are descended from Israel are Israel, nor because they are his descendants Are they all Abraham's children? On the contrary, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. In other words, it is not the natural children who are God's children, but it is the children of the promise who are regarded as Abraham's offspring. And if I just so I don't cease to what was the promise? What was the the promise to Abraham? Um, What what was the promise came to Abraham because and, and he said that in Romans chapter 1, verse 17, because it was his faith that was credited to him as righteousness, okay? So it came by faith. Um, I, I might miss that later, so I want to just say that now while it's on my brain. For this was how the promise was stated. At the appointed time, I will return, and Sarah will have a son. Not only that, but Rebekah's children had one and the same father, our father Isaac. Yet before the twins were born or had done anything good or bad, In order that God's purpose in election might stand, not by works, but by him who calls, she was told, the older will serve the younger. Just as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. Um, It's a challenging text. There's some stuff in there that might rub me a little bit the wrong way. Uh, Anybody else? They kind of go, wow, well, I didn't. Anybody never read Romans 9 before and you're like, whoa, i just hearing that for the first time. There may be some of you out there that are just hearing that for the first time. Um, hopefully by the end of the message, you'll go, wow, I love God. I love that God is sovereign. I love that he is absolutely, totally in control 
of the universe. Um, so we begin in verses 1 through 3, and we see Paul's heart for his fellow unbelieving Jews. Um, he has great sorrow, unceasing anguish, it says there. Um, he even wishes that he himself could become an anathema. He could become, he could be cursed. He, could, he would take their place in hell if he could. Of course, he can't because he just stated the great promise of Romans chapter 8 uh, at the end of the chapter where nothing can separate us from the love of God. But if he could, he would. And I don't know if you have that kind of passion for uh, the people that you're praying for that you would say, oh, I would even take their place. Um, maybe for our children we could pray for them and be like, man, I would be willing to take, take their place. Um, but Paul understands his, his Jewish audience. Um, we got to remember that Paul was there not too long ago, right? Remember Paul? Remember his name was Saul? And, and Saul set out to destroy the church. He went, in fact, Roman, or Acts chapter 8 says that he went from house to house, dragging off men and women and putting them in prison. He was standing there at the stoning of Stephen, giving approval. Um, and so Paul is no stranger to what his Jewish audience is thinking about. Um, but then Jesus rescued him, didn't he? Jesus calls out. Um, we see that beautiful conversion in Acts chapter 9 where he calls Saul out of darkness. And it actually makes him blind, so he really he does go dark for a little while there. But why? So that he could be brought into light. And Paul's heart is changed. He's changed by this gospel. And so he's writing Romans out of his own experience. He's writing, I, I was chosen by God. I was picked out. God, God chose me. And in his Jewish audience, his fellow Jews, they would consider him as a traitor. Um, they would consider him a traitor because what did Paul teach? He taught that there was freedom from the law of Moses. That there was freedom that was found in the Lord Jesus Christ and in grace. He taught grace. And because of that, his Jewish audience hated him. Because they were wrapped up in their own religious heritage. And they were wrapped up in keeping the law and trying to, to do it perfectly. And Paul would preach in synagogues and he would cause all sorts of trouble. And so Paul understands his Jewish audience and he understands and his heart is broken for them. How can they not get this? How can they not see? They have all these things in verse 4 and 5 that would point them to the Lord Jesus Christ and yet they miss it. That happens today, doesn't it? You know that happens to people. God, uh, people will be at the brink of disaster and God will rescue them. And they won't acknowledge that it's God that did it. I'm not going to acknowledge God. I did this on my own. You, you know people like that. And the Jews, they have this rich heritage. They have these rich experiences with God. And all of those, those experiences were to point them to the Messiah. But they missed it. He calls them in verse, uh, verse 4, the beginning, he says, the people of Israel. What does that mean? What, is, what does Israel mean? Why did God give them the name Israel? Yeah. Yes. 
And, he was, and his name was changed to Israel. He, his, that name Israel was to be held in, in high honor. Israel was the idea that, of God's chosen people. I've called you. I've chosen you. You're Israel. You're mine. Yes, he did. And so he says, theirs is the adoption. You have adoption. Um, You've been adopted out of slavery into sonship. Don't you see that? Don't you see that God led you out of Egypt, out of slavery, out of darkness? Don't you see that he's the one that led you into the land of Canaan? He was adopting you as his own children. Hosea 11 says it this way. It says, when Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. But the more that I called Israel, the further they went from me. They sacrificed to Baals and they burned incense to images. It was I who taught Ephraim how to walk. Do you see this picture of God the Father raising this nation of Israel? Taking them by the arms, but they did not realize it was I who healed them. I led them with cords of human kindness, with ties of love. I lifted the yoke from their neck and bent down to feed them. God was calling his own special people, Israel, out of slavery, Egypt. Theirs was the adoption as sons and daughters of God. He says theirs was the glory. You remember the glory of (laughs) the glory? Shining bright, leading, leading Israel in the wilderness? What was that glory represented by? The pillar of what? Fire. Fire. I mean, literally, how many of us have a pillar of fire that leads us around? How many of us have been led by God that way? How many of us have seen the glory of God in that way? And yet missed God, the one behind the fire. The glory, the divine glory. Theirs were the covenants. God God made promises to Israel, didn't he? Beginning with Abraham. What What did God tell Abraham? What were the covenants that God made with Abraham? He said that you will be a father of many nations. He says that kings will come from you. And that this promise that I'm making to you, this covenant that I'm making with you, will be everlasting. And not only that, but I'm going to give you land. I am going to give you the land of Canaan. And by the way, I'm going to give you a son. I'm going to give you a son. And through through you, all the nations are going to be blessed. This, This covenant that God made with Abraham, it was unconditional. It was a promise that God himself would keep. And it's a promise that God himself is keeping even now. He made a covenant with with Moses. He gave him the law at Mount Sinai. The law. So that they would know how to live. They would know how to govern themselves. They would know how to live in a, in a, in a good way. And, and that law was given on condition of obedience. If you do these things, you will be blessed. And then God reaffirms, reaffirms his promise through David, doesn't he? He reaffirms the promise He says, I am giving you this land. I promise you land. And I promise you, David, that out of you is going to come a throne that will last forever and ever. And and where does Christ come from? From the line of David. Yes, 
He comes from the line of David. The Israelites had the covenants. Theirs is the law. They were given the very words of God. (laughs) Imagine stone tablets coming down from the mountain with God's writing on these stone tablets. Come on. Can't you get this? Theirs was the worship. And so God sets up worship for them. The whole temple system. It all belonged to Israel. The sacrifices. The festivals. They, God provided a way for an unholy people to dwell in the presence of a holy God. All the way from the tabernacle. This was the privilege that Israel enjoyed. It says that theirs were the promises. Specifically, the promise of the Messiah. Oh, the Messiah is going to come from you. We look back at those promises at Christmas, don't we? We look at Isaiah 9-6. And we see the promises of God. Don't you think that Israel would have been looking and looking for this promised Messiah? And then it says that there's... Well, let me rephrase that. I need to rephrase that in your notes too. There's the patriarchs, and from them, I think this is important, and from them is traced the human ancestry of Christ. The Messiah, this is ironic, that the Messiah who would come to save you and me as Gentiles would come through the Jewish nation of Israel. Theirs was the Messiah, the Christ. It's important to note that Christ came from them, but he does not belong to them. All of the things that were listed before, theirs is, all of those things belonged to them, but not Christ. He says that Christ, who is God over all, Not just the Israelites, but the Gentiles. And that's the whole point. That's what Paul has been saying. That's what Paul says in all of his letters. I'm calling a special people, but it's not just the the nation of Israel. I'm calling Gentiles to myself. And it's through him and for his namesake that we all have received grace And we've received apostleship to call people from all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. That's what Paul said at the beginning of Romans in verse 5. And so Christ is not something that we have, if you will. He's He's not like a trophy that you hold up. Theirs is the adoption. Theirs is the sons. Theirs are the covenants. Christ is not a trophy that we hold up or that we put in a glass cabinet as if to say that he belongs to us. For he is God over all and every knee will bow to him. He doesn't belong to us. We belong to him. God is, and notice the statement there in verse four, in verse five, that that he is God over all. This is the most clear statement in the New Testament that Jesus Christ is God. Do you believe that? You better believe it. Jesus Christ is God. 
And he's making a strong statement here to his Jewish audience who does not believe that. And so they have all this rich religious heritage, and yet they don't have Christ. Do you think that can happen today? Do you think it's possible to grow up in a Christian home, to grow up hearing the Word of God, to grow up maybe even going through whatever classes you need to go through um, to do whatever that church is, is calling you to do, and to miss Christ and to not have Christ? <laughs> it is possible. Very sad. And it could be happening here. Um, it could be happening here. It, and you have to answer the, the question, what, what am I relying on? What makes me a Christian? What, what is it that makes me a Christian? Is it the fact that I'm coming to church every week? Is it the fact that, that uh, my parents and my grandparents and their, their parents and all of them we're, we're, we're Christians? Is it, is it the fact that, that at nine years old um, I got baptized? Is that what makes me a Christian? Amen. Deb, I have no doubt that, that you believe. I have no doubt that you're a believer in Jesus Christ. No doubt. Amen? Amen. And I think there's a sense where, we'll talk about this at the end, that in us, we also have the Holy Spirit. What, what makes us believers is the fact that we have the Holy Spirit that dwells in us. And the Holy Spirit is the one that's, that's leading us. Um, and for some reason, the Israelites had, had all of it. They grew up in church. They, got, they had baptism. They had all these things, and yet they missed Christ. Paul goes on here in verse 6 and he says, it's not as though God's word had failed. I think it's important to pause there. Did God fail? Did, was God the one that, that, did God fail is the nation of Israel and what he did? God doesn't fail. God's word never fails. God always keeps his promises to his people. And so, it's, it's not as though he failed. God promises to do, um, and what he promises to do, he will fulfill. Um, and so Paul says, it's not as though God's word had failed. And then he makes this statement. So that's his thesis, and that's what's going to really drive the rest of what happens in Romans chapter 9. God's word does not fail. And then this, this second part of this verse, I think is important for it's, for not all who are descended from Israel are Israel. Um, in other words, not all who have the privileges of the people of God really belong to the people of God. Um, and he's, Paul is continuing his argument from Romans chapter 2. Remember what he said there? He said that a man is not a Jew if he's one outwardly, 
um, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. What matters is what's happening on the inside. It's what's happening in the heart. That's what matters. And Jesus said the same things to the Pharisees, didn't he? Remember that? He said it a lot, didn't he? You whitewashed tombs. You've got it all clean on the outside, but inside, your hearts are far from me. He said, he said it this way in, in Matthew chapter 15 and verse 8. He says, these people honor me with their lips. They go to the temple and they offer these sacrifices and they say, you're God, but their hearts are far from me. God's out here, but God's not here. God's here, but he's not here. Twelve inches away, we can know all these things about God, but yet not really know him and be known by him and be loved by him because we're missing it in the heart. And that's the case for some of you, maybe. But it's not my place to decide who those are. The Spirit of God speaks, and the Spirit of God is the one who calls. And the Spirit of God may be tugging on your heart this morning and calling you right now. And so God's Word did not fail Israel. For not all who are descended from Israel are Israel. And in these next verses, Paul's going to give proof to support what he just said in verse 6. Not all who say they're Israel are Israel. And then he gives some examples. Here in verse 7 he says, Nor because they are his descendants are they all Abraham's children. On the contrary, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. In other words, it's not the natural children who are God's children, but it is the children of the promise who are regarded as Abraham's offspring. For this was how the promise was stated, at the appointed time I will return and Sarah will have a son. Um, God, God's choice here is not based on birth order. It's not based on religious heritage. And Paul goes all the way back to the beginning of the nation of Israel, all the way back to Israel roots to give this statement. Remember, what did God promise Abraham? What did he promise him? He, he promised Abraham, he said that the nations would be blessed through his offspring. It's a good promise. Man, I would love to have that promise, right? What did Abraham do? Remember what Abraham do? Deb, don't answer yet. Let somebody else maybe answer that. Just a second. What did, so Abraham gets this promise, and what does Abraham do? What? He helps God, doesn't he? He's like, well, God made me a promise. I think I'll just help God a little bit. And uh, Sarah, since you're barren, you know what? Hagar, you look pretty good. Why don't you? You're going to bear. You're going to bear this promise. You're you're the one. And Sarah agrees to it. Crazy woman. <laughs> no, I'm not even. I'm not going to talk about that because I'll get off a long ways. Let's just say that Sarah agrees to it, and so Ishmael is born. And we know that Ishmael is not the one that the promise would come through. But Abraham helps out. Um, and Ishmael's born. Um, 
But God had other plans, and God would reveal his purpose and, and his purpose of that promise through, the, through a miracle that only God could do. Only God's the one that can open up the womb of a woman to have a child of a barren woman. Only God can do it. And the miracle would come through the birth, birth of Isaac to Sarah in her old, old age. So much so that when God said this was going to happen in a year later, Sarah laughed, and then she tried to pull that, retract that, that laugh, but, and God did it. And Isaac was born. And then he says here that it's, it's through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. What's that word reckoned mean? We've seen it a couple of times already in Romans. We'll be reckoned. You know what that means? It means we'll be called. We'll be called to call, to call out loud in a loud voice, to invite, to call and to name that through Isaac, your, off, your offspring will be called. That's important. In other words, it's not the natural children who are God's children. It's the ones that God reckons and that God calls. And by the way, it's not based on birth order. And by the way, God doesn't need any help in doing it. And I think that's a hard thing for us to admit and to understand. God doesn't need any help in calling us. His call is powerful and it's effective. And God continues to do it. Um, now, does God invite us <laughs> to come alongside? Yes. Romans chapter 10. How can they hear without a preacher? We have an opportunity to preach the gospel. But we're not responsible for what happens when, when we preach that. You have no power to save that aunt, uncle, husband, wife. It's not on you because only the God can do it. And God's the one who reckons and calls. Yeah, it's through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. In other words, it's not the natural children who are God's children, but it's the children of the promise who are regarded as Abraham's offspring. There are natural children and there are spiritual children. And God... God's, in God's family, God has spiritual children. Um, and so God, through Isaac, would, would call. His call would go out. And the promise would continue. And that general call, it goes out when we preach the gospel. But then there's an effective calling. And I think it's important to, to talk about it. Here's, here's the definition of this effective calling the effective calling is an act of God the Father. This is from Systematic Theology by Wayne Grudem. It's, it's an act of God the Father speaking through the human proclamation of the gospel in which he summons people to himself in such a way that they respond in saving faith. And that coincides with what Jesus said in, in John chapter 6 in verse 46, 44. He said, no one can come to the Father unless the Father's the one that's drawing them. The Father is the one that's calling them to Himself. And so God 
Oh, it gets better here in a second. God is the one that is calling. His call goes out. And will we, will we respond to that? Verse 8. I'm going to say... Verse 9. For this was how the promise was stated. At the appointed time, I will return and Sarah will have a son. And so, again, just proving the point that Paul's been saying all throughout Romans, God's choosing is not based on religious heritage. It's not based on me being a Jew. Um, It's based on faith. And that righteousness comes through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he gives a second proof, a second example in in verse 10 here. He says, not only that, um, but Rebecca's children had one and the same father, our father Isaac, Yet before the twins were born or had done anything good or bad, in order that God's promise and election might stand, not by works, but by him who calls, she was told, the older will serve the younger, just as is written, Jacob I loved and Esau I hated. And that's Paul's second proof. It's found in Rebekah's children. um, That God's choosing is not based on our performance. It's not based on human effort. Jacob and Esau, they shared, they shared three things, didn't they, in the, according to this scripture? They had the same father and the same mother. Now, one could maybe argue that Isaac and Ishmael, they had two different mothers. Well, nope. Same father, same mother. In fact, they're twins. Um, although, and although Esau came out first, God chose Jacob. And the choice was made, notice there, it was made before they were born. It says it was made before they were born. And then the third thing that they shared is that neither of them had done anything good or bad. That's hard, isn't it? What, God? Before they had done anything good or bad, God had chosen Jacob, the younger brother. Is that hard? Yeah, because we live in a system where where we perform and we get wages, right? We live in that economy. That's the economy that we live in. You don't work, you don't eat. You don't perform, you don't get... What's due to you? And notice that what he said, what, what he said in Romans chapter 6, he says, oh, by the way, the wages, wages of sin is death. So in fact, in, God, in, this, in God's economy, we're not getting what we deserve, or many of us are not getting what we deserve. Praise God. And that's where I'm so thankful for the grace of God, and I'm so thankful for what he's going to say next year. Next year, he says... Why did God do that? In order that God's purpose in election might stand. That it would not by works, but by him who calls. The choice. God, he makes it clear here. In order to make it clear, he says, the choice is God's and God's alone. In order that God's purpose in election might stand. I am God and I will choose. An election might be a new word um, for some of you. And don't mix it 
with what you know about election, right? Okay, election, let me rephrase that. There's no way in Iowa that election is a new word for you. Anybody never heard, never heard of the word election before? Before last fall, maybe. If you're like three or two and you're sitting in here. No, we hear about election all the time. And that election is based on votes and it's based on popularity and it's based on parties and it's based on, I don't know, sometimes I don't even know what. Um, and you know what I'm thankful for is that God's economy, he does not work that way. I am so thankful that God's election is not based on popularity. It's not based on popularity. It's not based on my hairstyle or any of those, any of those things. It's not based on my ability to, to lead a country. The choice is God's and God's alone. And election is this. It's an act of God before the creation of the world in which he chooses dare I say this, some people to be saved. Not on account of any, any foreseen merit in them, but only because of his sovereignty and only because of his grace and only because of his good pleasure, God does it. And I think that's hard for us to hear. When we think of election, we think of what happened last fall. In God's economy, he is the one that is choosing. And it's beautiful. Because you know what? He chose you. He's called you. Another thing that he says here, that it's not by, by works. Um, his choice, it's not based on religious privilege. It's not based on your family. It's not even based on your morality or how good of a person you are. Because you know what? If it was based on that, you would all fall. We, let me rephrase that. Sorry, I'm preaching to you. We would all fall short. Paul's already made that clear. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And so God elects. God chooses. God calls. And God is the one that puts it into effect it's put into effect by him because he's the one that calls us. Think about it this way. God, this is going to be hard too. God doesn't wait for us to believe. God chose us and called us so that we might believe. He's not waiting for us. He chose us and he called us. And if he calls us, his calling is sure. God is not going to make a mistake. God is not going to forget anyone. God's not going to miss those that he's called. He will not do it. Because his promise is sure. Because he's God. And I'm thankful for that doctrine. I was like, man, I don't know if I really like this. But I'm thankful for it. Because you know what? It further cements the security that I have in Christ. That my salvation isn't based on 
my own good works, my own merit. It's entirely based on who God is, and God is the one that has secured it for me from the foundation of the world. It's beautiful. I take comfort in that. I remember the time when God called me. And God may be calling some of you right now. He may be, it's that, that small voice where he's saying, come to me, all you who are burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. It, it gives me an opportunity to praise him for his sovereignty. God is in control of the universe. There is nothing that escapes the grasp of God. God sees you. God knows you. God calls you. God loves you. There's a hard verse next. And um, I'm not going to touch on it too much, but uh, I'll just say that I struggle with it. And this, um, in verse 13, it says, Just as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. That's a hard verse for me. It is. Yeah. And we think of hate like, oh, you're not, it's not good to hate. You can't hate. Think about it this way. Jacob I have chosen, Esau I have rejected. That's hard. That God, and, and it's going to get harder here next week, I think. It's going to be more perplexing, isn't it, Gus? It's not simple. And I, I sat and I wrestled with that. I, I focused my whole attention almost in verse 13 this week. And then I was like, oh, I got to go look at the rest of it. I can't just focus there. That's like just a small part of what this is about. Um, I have to keep in mind the entire purpose of the book of Romans. And I have to keep in mind that God, that God and his sovereignty is including the Gentiles. And in fact, God in his sovereignty, grace, mercy is most likely calling Esau's descendants to himself. There is a calling that's going out, I believe, to some of Esau's descendants. Who are Esau's descendants? Um, maybe not Herod. I don't know that he kind of got called. Well, who knows? But I do know that in, in God rejecting, and next week we'll look a little bit at hardening, that because of that and because God, God has a purpose and a plan, I was included in Christ. You were included in Christ as Gentiles. Praise God for his grace and his mercy that in, in Israel's hearts being hardened and not seeing the heritage that they had, that the Gentiles were included um, in the kingdom. And, and the New Testament would support that and, and talk about that. And Paul's going Paul's to answer the objection to verse 13 next week. So I'm not going to talk about it anymore. <laughs> um, I think a question for us is this. Um, and maybe you're, maybe you're going, man, 
Was I chosen? Have I been, have I been chosen? Um, here's what I would challenge you to do. Don't look, don't look sideways, please. We're not, we're not called to look sideways at our brothers and sisters and go, wow, that person, they're making a mess out of their lives. I'm pretty sure they aren't chosen. Remember, it's not based on your merit. It's not based on your good enoughness or how good you are. It's based on the sovereignty of God. So don't, don't ever look sideways and, and make judgments on the people that you're sitting next to in church and decide, are they saved? Or are they not saved? God will, God will do that. And the other thing that God will do is that God will effectively call all those people that he have cho- has chosen. He will draw them to himself. He will not miss out on the promises that he's made and the thoughts that he had from the beginning of creation. He won't miss it. We can trust that. And you know what? That gives me encouragement in evangelism. How about this? Election gives me encouragement in evangelism because the gospel itself, me trying to get someone to believe, that's not on me. But what, what is beautiful is that I know that there are people that God is calling and that God, is, God has chosen and I have the opportunity to share and be the preacher that shares the gospel with them so that they, and in part, I'm, I'm taking part with God in his calling. And that should encourage us as believers to get out there and be involved in sharing the gospel as a witness. But if you're here this morning and you're going, man, I'm not sure if I'm called or chosen. I want to challenge you with this. Look upward and look inward. Look inward. Paul has just written to us in Romans chapter 8 and verse 17, and he says that that the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. If you're wrestling with that question, it's a good indication of what's going on. It means that the Spirit is at work. Do you sense the Holy Spirit leading you? Do you sense the Holy Spirit involved in your life, guiding you, speaking to you? you, Are there times where you you follow the leading of the Spirit and you're obedient to the Spirit? Look inward. You know. I can't know that for you, but you can know that for you and be assured of it. Look upward to God and look inward. Don't look sideways. The Holy Spirit is the indicator of whether you're God's children or not. Because the Holy Spirit is God's deposit. It's His guarantee that you have an inheritance in eternity with Him. When God God calls you, chose you, calls you, it says there, going back to Romans chapter 8, verse 28, it says, And for those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of His Son, and that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. And he gives us the Holy Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing that that is what happened to you when you were saved. And his call goes out to all, and anyone who believes on the Lord Jesus Christ, that's what Romans 10 is going to say, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus, Jesus Christ and believes in his heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And I'm praying that God is calling some of you this morning.
God may be calling on your heart right now. And I want to encourage you, answer the door. (laughs) Open up the door. Let the King of glory come in. Let him save you. Don't look through the glass and go, he's there, I don't know if I really want him. It could be dangerous. I might have to give up some things in my life. Oh, the Lord is wonderful. The Spirit is wonderful. The Spirit leads you to good places. Will you answer that calling if God is calling you this morning? Let's pray. Lord, we trust, God, your word. Um, and God, I'm so thankful that we just we preach all of the word of God here. Um, I'm thankful for this passage, God, in Romans chapter 9. I'm thankful, God, that, that it's totally by grace through faith that we're saved. And God, that because of that and because of your mercy and because it's not on our religious pedigree or our heritage, God, you made a way for the Gentiles to come into the kingdom of God. Dirty, filthy people um, by the Jews' standards and by the way that they look sideways at them, God. But you called us dirty, filthy sinners, God, into your presence. Um, God, you redeemed our life from the pit. And God, I'm so thankful. I'm thankful, God, for your work of salvation. You, God, are a good father. And uh, Lord, you are perfect in all of your ways. All of your word, God, is perfect. The law of the Lord is perfect, and it revives our hearts and our souls, God. And I pray, God, that you do that this morning, God, even through this doctrine of election, Lord. Would you revive our hearts and encourage us and give us such a great confidence, God, in your sovereignty and who you are, God. You are sovereign. You're compassionate. You're gracious. You're kind. You're full of mercy, God. We thank, we're thankful, God. That's why we worship you. That's why we love you, God. So I pray this morning, God, that you would do your work, God, in salvation and calling, God. We love you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. I want to invite you to stand and worship. And um, You know, if you're here this morning and, um, and God's working on your heart, that's and God's speaking to you right now. That is the Holy Spirit. God is God's the one that's at work. And um, I want to I want to encourage you to go back and talk to one of our prayer partners. Um, there are people back there who are ready and waiting to pray with you, and waiting to encourage you, and and usher you into the kingdom of God. Um, and so as we sing, won't you go back there and pray with them?
before we take our offering. God, we just thank you for your undeniable, your undeniable grace and mercy and that you're just, that you do know us inside and out. You know what we need, not only before we say a word, but before we even think it, God. We're just all a part of your plan, your choosing. We just let go of our selfishness and our, our need to control God. God, I just thank you again for this church and for the body of believers and just for your church as a whole. I thank you that we can all come together any place and worship you. God, I thank you for the, uh, just for the blessings that you give us, for the wages that we do earn uh, based on today's economy, God. And I just uh, pray that you would just bless those things that you already blessed our families with and that you would just allow us to return a portion of that back to you that's already yours. God, I just pray that you'll be with us also uh, this week as we go about our business and that we will, uh, you know, just kind of have a different way of looking at things after the words that we've heard today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. I love this promise. If you've been walking the same old road for miles and miles, you've been hearing the same old voice tell the same old lies. If you're trying to feel the same old holes inside, there's a better life, a better life. If you've got pain, he's a pain taker.
Amen to that, right? Amen to the Lord. Right? Jesus right. Christ broke the chains of darkness. He broke the chains of death. He, broke, he took care of those wages. Receive him. Listen to his calling. Listen for his voice this week. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thank you guys for letting me come back. I really enjoyed it. Thank <laughs> you.